0: Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is Victoria Mugo. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, Tori, I know you go by as well, so it's great to have you on the show.
1: I'm grateful for you to have me as
0: well. Awesome. Well, well, as we discussed earlier, um, I love talking about the endurance mindset. So my first question to you is, how has your endurance mindset impacted your life unexpectedly?
1: Well, I think I actually didn't know that I actually had an endurance mindset until um, four years ago when I became a quad amputee unexpectedly. (laughs) So I had pneumonia. Um, Obviously, um, my story is as simply as I had pneumonia and then infection, you know, became septic. So the intervention to save my life, unfortunately, cost me both my limbs. And I was an athlete before, you know, not an avid athlete. I mean, um, owned my own company, did my own business. But at the end of the day, I loved running. I loved exercising. I loved all those things. And now I got to a point where, how am I going to do this again? But now with no limbs, if I didn't switch my mind to an endurance mindset, I don't think I would have even walked. So it took a lot of me doing the mind over matter (laughs) situation so I could push through my recovery and then you know, eventually walk. And then now I'm back to doing the things I love, Athletic.
0: That's an amazing story. And there's so much to dig into. I can't wait to dig in. Um, but walk us through that mind over matter concept, you know, from going from being fully able to now, you know, a quadra Um amputee like walk us through sort of those first realization of hey you know what I got to kind of get a control over this and and talk us through that through that process that you went through
1: I mean I remember um, waking up from my coma and I was scared I was scared of how I looked and scared of how my life would look like going forward just because I mean I like watching a lot of medical shows. And when I woke up and my limbs looked black, this black, it was very scary. And I knew for sure these are not coming back. I mean, I didn't have any feeling in my hands or legs. So I knew they were going to amputate for sure. And that scared me. It scared me because I'm a mom. (laughs) There's things I love to do with my son. And, you know, how am I going to do that? It scared me because, I mean, I own my business. And I didn't see how I was going to start driving again, start even just typing again, even, and walking again, and all those things scared me. And I had to get to a point in my mind where I had to choose one thing, one thing that would pick me up again so that I can do all these things again. So... Um, I'm a religious person, so my faith has always been the pick of everything that I do. So I had a conversation with God, and I told him, if you don't hold my hand, I won't make it. <laughs> I won't be able to do this. And with that, I just decided to move forward and said, what am I going to do that's going to make me go back to who I was? And, I mean, a switch just came on, you know athletically. Athletically will get you off that bed because you will walk, because you will start using your hands and you'll start doing all these things. And then I remembered, hey, I can just, you know, buy some bands from Amazon and start doing my own little exercises. And that started building me up to what other thing can I do tomorrow and the next minute and the next hour and things like that. And those small goals, uh started training my mind to know that just because you don't have fingers, just because you don't have feet, doesn't mean you can't type, doesn't mean you can't move, doesn't mean you can't walk again. So, and then I got to my wheelchair eventually. And that was a win for me, but I I couldn't see myself being on a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I wanted to, I mean, I'm one of those people who like doing things, um, but most people will call it impatient, but I'm like, on point. Like if, if I'm not going to wait for tomorrow, I'm not going to procrastinate <laughs> and do things tomorrow or the next minute. I want it now. And let's, let's get moving. Let's get that done. And I couldn't see myself sitting in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. So what am I going to do to start walking? They had, um, my insurance hadn't approved my physical therapy at the time. And I told myself, Hey, I can, Have a friend build a railing in my garage and and can start doing things on my own there. So yeah, I drove my little wheelchair to the garage and my friend built me this wood railing. And that is where I sat walking. So before I saw my physical therapist to actually do the rehabilitation for my walking, I just picked up my wheelchair and I just pulled myself up on those railings and I did that for I would say consistently. About two weeks and I did my first steps and it was painful, but I told my mind, these are going to be our legs. These prosthetics will be our legs and this is what we are going to do. And eventually I started doing my own, you know, little workouts, you know, the walkings, the stretchings, the half push, uh, half, you know, um, squats and things like that to strengthen my, my limbs. And yeah, I just started building up on that, and slowly but surely, my mind started—you know—my brain started training my body to accept what I have, the way I have. And then, a month from that, I did my first five k walk. <laughs> I know. So by the time I was doing my physical therapy, my physical therapist asked me, "I don't need to see you." I mean, you, you, you look like you, ha- you have it going, but you know, there's little things that they know that I don't know because they've, um, they've worked with amputees before. So I picked on that. I told her, I'm sure there's a few things I don't know. So like walking up the stairs, that, that scared me. But she gave me the confidence for that. But if, if, I, if my mindset was not trained right to bring that acceptance and pushing through, even when things are hard, because at the end of the day, life is hard in general. But if you don't try something, then you wouldn't know if you could actually do it. So until you try it, then you will you will know. Okay, this is not for me. <laughs> Maybe move on to the next thing. Oh yeah, sure, this is for me. And you surprise yourself sometimes, and that pushes you to another challenge and another and another. So that is how I still, even now, train my mind to push through and have always trained my mind to push through.
0: That's so powerful. It's, there's so many takeaways from that. Um, I'm curious, did you have this same mindset prior to to four years ago? Is this something that you've had sort of since your childhood, and it really it was a tool that you had in your toolbox that really came to life? In this situation. And so like again back to the question, like, have you had this mindset for years and years and years and, and now it's paying its benefits?
1: I think I think what you say there kinda nails it. It's probably a tool that I had with my toolbox that I'd never used to full capacity. Because I think it I've always had it in me. I just didn't know that I had it in me enough to be able to push through in this situation. So I think that is, as human beings, that's what we are. We don't know what we are until we are either put in situations where we don't have a choice but to, or, you know, we put ourselves in in, in environments that open up things like little flowers or little butterflies that were in cocoons and now, you know, they're, you know, flying now because they push through the cocoon to know hey I can I, I didn't know I could do this, but I actually can do this because sometimes I run like yesterday said when I was running, and now I have that momentum, I know what works, you know what would not give me injuries and stuff like that, but I was thinking of, of how far I've come, and sometimes I actually don't believe that I'm this person because I've told my friends a few times and my family that if you asked me four years ago that I would be this person that pushes through the, the very difficult of situations, regardless of how it looks, I would have told you, no, that is not possible. There's no way I could do that. But then look at me now that I can actually do those things without someone pushing me. Of course, my, my community and my environment encourages me, but at the end of the day, I have to get get to decide what I want to do and what I don't want to do. So yeah, it was a toolbox that I had before. I believe that for sure because I I don't see how I would have walked on my own if I didn't have that tool to let my mind know, hey, we can do this. you don't need anybody to do anything for you. you can actually do this on your own if you choose to. And I chose that. So yeah, it is a toolbox. I think it's a toolbox that I had. Prior,
0: so just expanding on that a little bit further. Um, looking back, you know, beyond four years ago, are there certain things that you've noticed in your life that indicated that you have this tool? You know, now that we, you know when you look back, it's pretty clear in 2020. But are there situations that or experiences that you had? That you could have said, oh, I have this tool, and, but you just didn't recognize it at the time?
1: I think so. I remember sitting with my, sitting in myself in certain situations when, when I was challenged in one way or the other. And I always had this, this mindset of, this is just a challenge. This is an opportunity for me to show something about myself. I had that in me. Like... Like mentally, even when, you know, starting my own business, I was like, well, I don't know where to start, but you know what? This is a challenge. Let me see what I can do with this. I always had that mindset of it can't be that hard. There has to be a way out. It cannot be that hard. And if I don't find a way out, I always ask. I like asking because asking is always knowledge for me, but I always refuse to be put down by any challenge in my life, I always had that. And every time I got into that situation, I kept telling myself, "This is I can do this. Like it never, challenges never put me down. Challenges always give me opportunities to thrive. So, I mean, if I try and fail, that's fine. I'll just figure out a way to do it another way, but it, it, it won't discourage me not to try again or to try something new again, just because it looks hard in my head. It's it. I always had that thing, and it always surprised me. And I didn't, I didn't come to realization on it as much as I do now. But yeah, I did have that thing. I I really can't explain it, but it was just, just in me. Like it can't be that hard. And people usually usually used to ask me like, "How do you even do that? How do you do one, two, three things for five at the same time?" And I was like, it, "It's not that hard." I remember. It um going into my graduate and I was you know I'd put my mind in it this is what I'm gonna do I only have two more semesters and I'll be done and then the first month I get in I got pregnant and I was looking at my husband like what I have I only have two semesters I mean this child could not have waited because we had tried get a child for a while and I was like you know what let me just go finish school and then you know we'll figure it out if a child comes it comes if he doesn't it doesn't but it's okay you know that's just what life is sometimes and the first month I get in and I was sitting there looking at my pregnancy test I actually was laughing like no this is a joke Mm -hmm. and as immediately I started thinking okay nine months I have to be in school I have work and I have all these things. And then I sat with myself and told myself, well, well what's wrong with just, I mean, the, the child will be inside me. So there's no barriers around me to not make me not finish school. And yeah, I did finish school. And the week right before my finals, he came in two weeks early. And I knew I only had. It was it was Sunday, I was sitting down for my accounting exam and I was in Starbucks and I was studying and I knew tomorrow I have my final. Then after my final, I have a whole week to prepare and get ready for this child. And then that night, my water broke, the night before my final. It, and um, see, of course, again, I'm telling my husband, hey, we, it's 11 o'clock, we have to go, we have to go. And he's like, stop joking. The challenge is all coming for another week. And I was like, we have to go now. And in my mind, I'm thinking, final, final, final tomorrow. And I just texted my professor and told her, well, I can't make it to my final. She Obviously, she knew I was pregnant. She was like, don't worry about it. You know, I'll just, we'll just do it. Um, she'll send me it over email and I'll just do my final because I've done well that semester. So she wasn't worried that I'm going to fail or anything. I wasn't worried either. But I was like, dang it. <laughs> now I have to think about this <laughs> after I had this baby, and I had my baby. I came home, and I think about a week, a week and a half. I asked my best friend to come over. She watched my son, and I just sat for that final, and I finished, and I was done. But I was just thinking about it, just thinking about, oh my god, I have to sit, and I have to sit for this exam, but but what, but, but this, but this, and then in the background I can hear my son screaming obviously he's screaming for me and it, it's all of these things but i had to focus i was like you know what i only need an hour be done then i'm done so those little things you know challenges will always be there in your life interruptions will always be there in your life but you have to or rather i always choose to decide can this be done yes can i even try it and fail sure but that doesn't prevent me from, you know, try and get an opportunity from that challenge. So it's been one little thing after the other. They might look simple for a lot of people. But for me, those are little hoops that always tell me, you know, it. it however it comes to you, Victoria, you can actually go through and either do this, do and fail and learn or do and succeed. But if you don't try, then you wouldn't know either way. So.
0: I love it. Um, my, my curiosity question is you, know, you, you were living through those moments and it felt chaotic and crazy and why are all these things lining up for me right now? As you look back on it now, does it make sense? Does it, is there a different clarity to those situations after living through sort of the randomness of it during the time?
1: It does make sense. And for me, I look at it two ways. The first way that I always look at, like when we began the podcast, I mentioned that my faith is always my 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 beacon in everything that I do. So if, if I should look at it on that side, which is very dear to me, I would say, God does not give you things you cannot handle. That is always my thing. So even if I'm going through something, I know it doesn't matter how it looks like. But if God got me to this, he will pull it through for me. And God does not pull it through always on how we think about it. Because maybe I sat down and said, hey, I had two semesters to finish, so I'm going to pull through and finish this. But God said, "Hey, you know that child you've been asking me about? So here. <laughs> and it's going to be it's going to happen in between the spirit." And then I sat there and said, "You know what? If if he decided I'm going to be pregnant right now, it doesn't matter how it looks like, we can still push through because he's going to help me through it." And he did. Same thing with, you know what what happened with my amputations. He got he got me to a place where it was so devastating. I mean, Oh, that was a dark place. It was a dark place for a moment. But when I reached out to him, he told me, "Hey, Victoria, you can actually do this. Do you know your name?" <laughs> I was like, "Yes, I didn't know my name." And I lived through that. I lived through that victory, through that endurance, through that pushing. And here I am right now actually talking about it, but being in a hospital bed, not being being able to move with a trach on my throat, with a dialysis machine on the side of me, he was going to, you know, help me push through that. If I look at it on um, the other side of things, I mean, situations like those are just, for me, they're just challenges. I don't see them as as failures because mm. when you don't try something, you have not failed. And then failure is just opportunities to learn. It's not the end of that opportunity or, or another way to do the same thing. Because for me, for example, if you, right now, I don't have my prosthetics on, but if you put a plate between me and you, you're going to pick up a spoon and eat. But for me, I'm going to go and find an eating aid and eat. We are both eating. I'm just doing it differently. So that is how I look at things. Just because you don't have it doesn't mean you can't do it just as well as another person. Just find a different way of doing it. If you can't walk with your legs, I mean, they have prosthetics now. Just put on prosthetics and walk. If you can't type, somebody will use their fingers, but typing is just having something pointed. And just going through your keys. So, I mean, people ask me how I type. I'm like, well, I just type the same way you do. The only difference between me and you is you have fingers I don't. But that doesn't mean we can't do the same thing mm. and achieve the same goal. I might do it slower, sure. But are we going to achieve the same goal of typing something? Yes, we are. So, it's not the, the end is not in the challenge. The end is you telling your mind you cannot do that is the end.
0: That's beautiful. Um, Tori, I'm going to rewind a little bit. I would love to know, or at least tell our audience about you, uh, where you grew up, your childhood. You know, Talk us through sort of the, the early years and you, know, you alluded to it a little bit, um, yeah, but I'd love to hear a lot more about you.
1: I mean, I, I was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya. (laughs) I say that with a smile and with so much gratitude in me because I think um, the environment that I was raised in actually brought me up to the person I am to, like we're talking about mindset right now with the mindsets that I have. So I grew up in Nairobi, Kenya. I was born and raised there. Went to uh, elementary and high school there. Um, I am an only girl to two boys. (laughs) So my brother, I'm the firstborn, but I have two younger brothers. So I'm 81, 82 and 90. Um, love them, love my family as it is. Um, my mom is the heart of our family, but, and my dad is the wisdom in our family. I look up to my dad in a lot of things. Um, especially when I think about challenges, I think about him and what he would say about it a lot of times. So I think the environment I was raised in, um, you know, just being a small unit of a family, I think we, we feed off each other in, you know, the processes of, you know, how life has been for us and how life challenges, you know, endure us. Um, so I came to the United States 22 years ago and I came to school so I came to college Um, uh, but the reason why my parents decided on that is because obviously they wanted me to be in an environment that can grow me more than you know what Kenya would have offered I'm sure Kenya is brilliant I mean I love Kenya but it's always good to go out there and see what else is out there besides the environment you're in. So my parents chose the United States. I came here. Um, my mom's younger sister lives in the States. So I came directly to her because it was easy to integrate uh, with people that I knew. Uh, then I came, finished, uh, undergraduate and then worked in corporate for a little bit as a recruiter in a nursing company. So I did that for seven years and then right around 20, 2010, 2009, where we had all those big layoffs, I was unfortunately <laughs> laid off. And I remember coming home and I was devastated, wondering what else can I do? I mean, I'm used to eight to five. So what, what now? And then a friend introduced me to real estate and I was like, I don't know anything about real estate, but I told myself, you know what? I don't know why this is coming to me now. So what, what the heck? Why not? So, um, started doing little small things like property management and, um, uh, what do you call it? Like rental property, you know, management. And then that got me into banks that do portfolios that actually have properties that they need managed or repaired. So now I started sipping into that and believe it or not, I surprised myself and, and wondered, hey, I, I don't need an eight to five. I can actually own my own business and do this. So that is how I came to owning my own business is from the layoffs and then into starting my own, you know, property management company where, you know, we manage homes as far as just rental properties or actually all repairs in the homes. The only thing I don't do is foundation and yeah, foundation, but I can pretty much build a house. I know how to go get permits, licenses and things like that, but I wouldn't have been there if I didn't choose to say, hey, maybe try this. If I fail, I fail, but what if? And now you cannot pay me enough to go back to (laughs) an eight to five. I mean, if I do, I do, but that's not the end of the world. So for the graduate degree, that's why I dig, dig, you know, dug deep into financing and accounting. And um, that is how I got into, you know, I did uh, international business. So, um, I mean, I love the business world. I love numbers. I didn't. No, I loved numbers as much as I did because I remember in high school and and um middle school i I just hated math. I just didn't have a thing for math, and my dad, who's a doctor, always came home and asked me, "What is so hard about math? Math is the easiest thing you could do. What is so hard about chemistry? That is the easiest thing you could do and I'm looking at him, I'm like, "Dad, I don't have your mind. I <laughs> I can't do it, but that's the thing about your mind. If you tell yourself you can't, you can't." So I was, came from Kenya, dropped into the United States, and now I don't have a choice. I'm in college. I have to actually do well in college because I'm actually paying for these classes. So I have to pass. If I don't pass, then I have to repeat it and pay more money. And then I just switched my mind to like, hey, what is so hard about it A's? So I just started, my, my, I have started having straight A's, you know. Be easy here and there, but I never failed any of my classes at all. And they were, they were hard classes. They were science classes. They were math classes. I didn't know I had that in me. So that's the other thing. If you don't bring, if either your environment brings it out in you or your environment will push you to it, but at the end of the day, you get to decide if that is what you want to do. Because like I said again, if you say you can't, you can't. But if you say you can, you can. If I did that in high school, and middle, I think I would have had an easier time in school. But I kept telling myself this is hard because my environment, I mean, in school, I, I was in boarding schools. Middle school, half of middle school into all my high school, I was in boarding school. That environment is not easy. It's, it's tough not being away from home. But then that environment was actually good culture for me because when my parents said, hey, how about going to the States and finishing college there. I didn't say no. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Because I was raised in an environmental boarding schools where I could be away from my family and just still drive, even though I'm not there with them. So coming here was, for a lot of people, it was hard. But for me, it wasn't. I mean, as long as I kept communications, which in boarding schools, I used to write letters to my family every week. So here, you know, call them every week as well. And then, yeah, so life can bring some challenges, but not everything is really a challenge. It's it's your mind telling you that it is. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. I had similar experience with math and I'm a finance person now. And when it clicked for me is when I could apply what I learned in school to work and making a living. And once I realized that, hey, if I was paying attention in school and understand these math equations and how the logic works, and then apply that in my work, uh-huh. they're going to pay me more. <laughs> <laughs> and then ultimately, similar to you, I put my shingle out, and I you know I don't even look back at it now. Um, I'm curious. You talked about your property management business. Um, is there a geographic area or a typical client that would? Somebody's in the audience that that should reach out to you, or like talk to us about who your typical client is in that in that business.
1: Um, My typical client will be okay. I I do work as a contractor, so what we do is we go to this big companies like um, just to put it out there, like um, I worked with Safeguard or Altisource, which is also Open Open Home, you know, mortgage services, and so this mortgage services or this. Mortgage companies that have bank portfolios that are in foreclosure, they need a way to actually preserve these properties um, until they put them back to market. So I do pre foreclosure and foreclosure properties that um, with um, this mortgage companies that are holding them until you know their market improves or they're in market shape. To bring them out to the market and resell them. Most of these homes, when you get in, they they either have been vandalized, um, things have been stolen from it. Um, they need like, you know, they're in the twenty five year, thirty year period where they need a new roof, um, plumbing issues, things like that. So all those things need a property management company to come in and put the the property back to market. So that is pretty much what I do.
0: That's helpful. Very helpful. Shifting gears slightly, uh, the last time we chatted, we talked about the Challenge Athletes Foundation. Uh-huh. Um, I'd love to hear your story around the Challenge. I, I've been a, a supporter of that organization for probably twelve years now. Oh, um, thank you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, and the
0: reason is my my older brother uh, is disabled; he's mentally handicapped, and you know I do triathlons um, back of the pack. But there was a connection there when I discovered. CAF, of, hey, how can I be supporting this community that doesn't have all the abilities that I may have in support of my brother? And it just all made sense for me. But um, And I love it. It's just a great organization. But I'd love to understand and hear your story with the Challenge Athletes Foundation so that our audience can get a better understanding of the organization and and hopefully support it as, as others have.
1: So the Challenge Athletes Foundation is a foundation that Uh, supports athletes who love sports. So if you're an avid athlete there who's an amputee uh, or a challenged person, um, CAF comes in to intervene on those situations where, hey, I want to travel, I want to run, I want to um, hike. They have all um, these different sports. I want to swim, I want to do uh, basketball again, football. Whatever sport you think of that you would think a challenged person cannot do or if a challenged person thinks they cannot do because they're not financially able to do it or they're not in environments that are able to do it, well, Challenge Mm -hmm. Athlete Foundation is that foundation you go to and they open up this web of environments for you to try any sport you want and then they do support you through grants. Like you said, you support Challenger Leap Foundations, and I say thank you because when I was in that hospital bed, the first thing I wanted to do is run, and I'm thinking, how am I going to do that? And then I come out and I got my first prosthetics, and I was like, oh, maybe I can just use these prosthetics. And my prosthetics, one of them is five pounds. One, I have two of them, and one of them is five. So you can imagine trying to run with five pounds, and you, uh, you're halfway through your foot. You don't have a foot. So it's hard. It, it's almost impossible to do that. So I needed running blades. I cannot afford $30,000 running blades. There's no way I could have been able to afford that. I mean, my everything was through the roof financially for me. There's no way that was even in the books. So I thought, you know, hey, maybe I can't do this. Talked to my prosth- prosthetist and she he said, "You know what? You can apply for a grant." And I was like, "What? I can?" not And they could give me these. Uh, and then he, she, he showed me the blade. He's like, "Yeah, you can apply for a grant." And if, you know, if you get granted, then you can get a running blade. And when you go there and read how to get it, I mean, challenges okay. will not just give you something just mm-hmm. because you have to have that, um, you know. Love for whatever sport you want. So if you love swimming, you have to show that you love swimming in whatever way, even in the simplest of ways. So me, for me, I started recording all my little videos that I did at home to be able to, you know, apply for the grant. Hey, I can actually exercise on my own. I can do this on my own. I just cannot run yet. And then eventually, I applied for the grant and they granted me the blades. And that was that was, I think, one of the best days of my life in the last four years because now I could run again. I didn't think I could. But then again, if Challenge Athletes did, was not part of that whole experience, I don't. I think it would have been hard. I might, I might have to go crowdfund for a blade, but I didn't need to do that. All I needed to do is just tell somebody how much I love sports and show them how I did, and they didn't even ask questions. They just grunted. So for me... I love telling the athletes I will be part of CAF for a very, very long time. Even if I get to a point where I can't run again, I will always fundraise for them. I will always support them because it's not just about me. It's about someone else who's sitting somewhere and they think they can't because they cannot afford so as long as they are, the foundation is supported, they're able to support a whole lot of people. I mean, I go to their community challenges now every year. Um, this year, God willing, will be my third year. And you walk into that weekend and you're like in another world <laughs> because you see all this. Inspiring athletes and a community of other amputees—that is everything the they do—is they do a lot of community work for um, people with limb loss, limb difference, or people who, you know, have like your brother, a mentally challenged, and they need a sport to keep them going. Because just because you're mentally challenged doesn't mean you don't know what you love. You could be a mentally challenged person and you. I would give you a baseball bat and you would just swipe that thing that nobody, you know, like nobody else could, or you could swim like nobody else could. But then if you're not in those environments, you will always think you cannot do, but you can. So challenge at least for me, that is who they are. And that's how I came to learn about them.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, I got to ask you this final question. What's next? What's the next big goal? What are you working up to?
1: doing a triathlon, a full triathlon. I mean, I I, I do relays where I do half and halves. Um, So I would do a running relay. Um, I've done that twice now. I am starting to learn how to swim. And then I'm starting to shop around and look for any adaptive way to ride a bike. So either buy the bike, I can actually just use my legs and not need my arms to ride it, or actually get into a bike with prosthetics, you know, my hands as they are and my leg prosthetics and just do it. I did a full and a half hour bike challenge when I did a calf, uh CAF Challenge athlete Foundation Community Challenge last weekend. And that was brutal, but yeah, I could actually ride a bike for four and a half hours, and that was just fine. But the thing for me is the hands, how to break and how to stop and things like that. so it's easier to do the seated bike, but what if I can do that one? And when I learn how to swim, I can do those three, and then in eventuality, maybe I'll be like you and do an iron. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of my very good friends that is um, not a quad amputee, but you know he lost his limbs all oh, halfway through um his legs but he's a great swimmer um has done a few triathlons and did ironman he was the first first amputee to do an ironman i believe uh two three, maybe 3 years ago mm-hmm. yeah so it is possible in mindset it's, possible. it's 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 what you tell yourself so for me the biggest thing is to continue to be an inspiration athletically to a lot of people, um I love you know my business, I love being in finance, I love everything about owning my own business and actually waking up in the morning and not having to worry about an eight to five. I love that um but that that is that is part of me, but what pushes me is the athletic part of me so. And that has inspired a lot of people, and I want to keep doing that. I want to keep talking to people about not giving up and knowing that, like I said, if you say you can't, you can't. If you say you can, you can. So, yeah, I like I like like this opportunity. I didn't think I would ever do podcasts or talk, you know, in front of people. I just did a um, a talk about a week? no no about three weeks ago that was actually my second one and I wasn't that person who comes in front of people and talk all the time but now that is something that is kind of flourishing in me where I sit down and talk to people about how to push through life even when life gives you lots of lemons <laughs> well
0: to Tor- on that note Tori um how can people find you? What's your social media preference of choice? Are you LinkedIn, Instagram? Audience members wants to want to follow you and, and watch your story develop and see you you get to that starting line of your first Ironman. How do, how can they follow you?
1: Um, I my social media tag name is Tori Mugo, so the T R O T R T O R I E Mugo, so Victoria Tori, so Tori Mugo. And it's Tori Mugo on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. And then on LinkedIn, it's my official name, Victoria Mugo.
0: Fantastic. And we'll have all those links in our show notes. So anyone interested, please scroll down and grab them. Tori, it's been awesome having you on this show. I'm so inspired by your story. I'm grateful that you are talking to people about challenges. And, and the, the, my favorite takeaway many of them from today was failure is an opportunity to learn. I thought that was extremely well thought through and said. So thank you for being part of our show today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Gregory. I really, <laughs> really appreciate it. This was this was good. This was fun. And it's always nice to be able to be asked questions about you know how I feel about life. Even though you know you know life gave me a curveball four years ago. It's I like speaking about it because there's a lot of people that, if you look at how the world is right now, a lot of people are giving up too soon or a lot of people are in places where they don't have a way out. So when we talk about challenges and how we push through them, how we thrive through them, and letting people know that just because it's a challenge or just because you've failed or just because you had a lot of loss, it doesn't mean it's over. It's only over until you tell yourself it is. And I like telling people therapy is not a crime. <laughs> therapy is not a disease. <laughs> Go out there and speak to somebody about how you feel. Even, even when you're mad at it, be mad at it. But don't let it take over your life.
0: That's so well said.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Tori.
1: Well, thank you, Grandry. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.